And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. It's time to welcome back to the studio once again from Envision Financial, Luke Smith. Good afternoon. Afternoon, mate. How's it all going? Mate, it feels like every other day's Friday at oh. the moment, so... Busy week? <laughs> Flies by. It Flies certainly by. <laughs> does. It certainly does. But of course, Friday's the best day of the week. It is. It uh, is. Because we can look forward to all of the thrills and spills, adventures and glamour of the weekend, whether yep. it turns out that way or not, is immaterial. We'll True. still enjoy Friday. That's it. As long as the Raiders get a chance to get a win, that's all we can ask for. So. Gosh, yes. What about that last week? Oh, yeah. never mind. Uh, there's always next time, isn't there? Exactly right. Uh, although the Roosters are going to be a tough... Uh, a tough obstacle, but we'll see how we go with I that. I think we've just got to get some bodies on the park, but I'm that, sure they'll they'll be able to get over the line. That would certainly help. Now, we're going to talk about one of those topics this week, which I think most people would they they would hear the expression and the inst- they instantly their eyes would start to glaze over. They mm-hmm. go, "Really? Do I need to know anything about this?" But uh, it's actually yeah. not quite that. Uh, you know, it's not as bad as you might think. No. The phrase is this discretionary family trust so um i know everybody just instantly went to sleep and thought oh it's too complicated but is it really that complicated no look it really isn't um ultimately uh, a family trust is just a structure in a similar vein to superannuation so it's just a structure that owns assets on behalf of someone and that's simply as as the name says it's discretionary family trust so generally what you see is um, related parties or, or mum, dad, kids, cousins, aunties, business partners, anybody that's working together can acquire an asset, put it in a trust, and there are some key requirements for something to be a trust, and we'll, we'll touch on those in a second, but it's ultimately just a vehicle that owns an asset on behalf of beneficiaries, and that's as difficult as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So legally speaking, it's a separate legal entity. Correct. Uh, it's a kind of a corporate entity, except it's not a company. That's exactly right. It's it's a trust structure. So one of the big differences between a company and a trust is a company can retain earnings. A trust must distribute all of its earnings at the end of the financial year. Now, as this name says, a discretionary family trust, one of the big advantages of this sort of structure when you're buying investments is you have the discretion to determine where money is distributed. I see. So let's let's take a real life example. I have, let's say I have three kids. I don't, but let's say I do. And let's say those children were 18, 19 and 20. Right, um, so they're the all adults. They're all adults. And one of the benefits of that, let's just say that I'd bought a house for those kids when they were born and they're now those ages and that house is rented. They're all still living at home, like most 18, 19, and 20-year-olds do these days. Um, We can choose where the income is distributed. Now, if I've got a job in the government and my wife has a job in the government and we both earn $150,000 in the government, we don't necessarily want more taxable income being distributed to us. So a discretionary family trust allows you to say at the end of the year in conjunction with your accountant, where do we want to distribute that money for the best possible tax outcome? Now, like most 18, 19 and 20 year olds, they may be working a little bit part time while they're doing their studies, they may be having a gap year, they may be overseas, they may be doing a range of different things. But we can use their marginal tax rates, which would allow us to distribute up to $18,000 per child and pay no income tax. So the discretionary part of the name of the structure is very important because you can choose in any given year if it's better to pass the child one, child three, child two, 
two and three and leave one out because he's put his big boy pants on, he's got a job, well, he may no longer get distribution. So that can apply for both income as well as capital gain. Because if we did happen to sell that house and say, okay, kids, here's some money for a deposit on a house, the capital gain that we realise, which is the sale price minus the purchase price and other associated costs, that can have a tax impact as well. But if we've got three people that we can distribute that out to, we can potentially lessen the tax burden on, say, myself and my wife, who could be working full-time earning that fictitious income of 150 grand. So they're a very, very good structure that allows you to invest over the longer term where you have certain criteria to make it worthwhile. Now, I myself have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So at the moment, a discretionary family trust is no good for them because they can't receive the same amount of income being distributed as an adult can under the tax rules. So these aren't for everybody, but they are a very, very good way to protect assets. They are a very, very good way to control where income is distributed. They're also a very, very good way to help mitigate capital gains tax in the eventual sale of a long-term asset. So these structures are very, very flexible, but they are not for the short term in some instances. And they're also predicated with certain criteria. So if I didn't have kids, obviously my distribution options would be far less than if I had three, four, five kids right. in that scenario. And as far as I'm concerned, if you've got three, four or five kids, you deserve as much tax break as, as you can possibly get hold of. <laughs> well, absolutely. Now, I've got a couple of questions here. First one, it, well, let's rewind a little bit back yep. to the beginning. And you said that uh, the discretionary family trust can't retain earnings like a company can. It must yep. distribute all the earnings. Yep. So to me, that raises the question, what if you want to reinvest those earnings? The, the trust can't do that internally? Well, the trust the trust can reinvest those earnings. It is a, it is an, is a distribution on paper so that there is a tax liability applied to what's earned. Right. So, for example, you could earn $50,000 of rent. That sits in the bank account of the trust. And that $50,000 is distributed to the various beneficiaries on paper right. and included in their marginal tax rate and right. their personal tax returns. Right. But the cash would effectively still sit inside the company, oh. uh, the, the trust, sorry, for further investment, reinvestment, new right. opportunities or anything else. So when we say distribution, uh, we're distributing who owns what rather than actually paying out the cash. Exactly right. We have to apportion that to someone. Right. So that we say at the end of the year, okay, 50 grand gets broken up in that example to A, B, C, D, and E. Yeah. But the money physically still sits in the account because the one question I get from a lot of mums and dads is, there's no way I'm handing that amount of money to my child. <laughs> well, that thought did cross my he, mind. He yes. or she's out of control. So, <laughs> yes. no, it's not something that you have to physically make right. the distribution to, but it, it is done on paper. Although, if you want to make a, a cash distribution, then you that's, can. Yeah, that's fine okay. too. That's exactly right. right. Just like any other investment, whether it's own name, joint names, whatever you choose to do with the income that is generated from your investment okay. is completely up to you. The second question is, it's called a discretionary family trust. So who qualifies as family? Can you include anyone you want? Or is it uh, immediate family only? Can you include your nieces and nephews, your cousins? Who's included? Who's not included? Yeah, you can. You can it's a fairly broad uh, distribution option. Um, and the reason the term family trust is used as opposed to something like a unit trust where you have specified investment entitlements or ownership in that 
in that structure. Yeah. Family generally runs downhill to you know anybody that you can assign to say, right, I want to name these people as beneficiaries. And then it gives you the ability to then make sure that you're using the greatest spectrum of, of, of control possible. And it's important as well that when you're drawing these things up that you know you have a solicitor help you with the wording and the terminology in the deed. Because right. as you said before, it is a separate legal entity. Yes. So it does legally own whatever you've purchased. So there are a few key things that need to happen. So to bring the trust to life, you have what we call a settlor, and they bring the trust to life and say that the assets will be held in trust. You then have an appointor, and this is like the, the, the king of the castle. The appointor can nominate who the trustee is, can also nominate who beneficiaries are. So they have the ultimate control over who manages or is legally in control of the entity. And then you have the trustees. So it could be you and I are trustees of this trust and we are responsible for the maintenance of it and ensuring that we adhere with the law. And obviously we achieve the investment outcomes that we're after by bringing this structure to life. So there are a few key people or a few key roles that are involved in running the structure. But again, a good solicitor will do all of that for you, make you aware of all of that and make sure that the deed or the, the rules of the trust are worded in a way that you can achieve the investment outcomes that you're after. So um, to be clear, if I had won the $80 million Powerball jackpot uh, last week, uh, which I didn't, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but I'm still here, so, you That's know, it. but hypothetically, uh, I, could, uh, I could set up a family trust and I could include all my brothers and sisters, yeah. all my cousins, yeah. all my nieces and nephews. I could include yeah. pretty much anybody I wanted. I could include you. Because yeah. you're not a brother, but you're yeah. a friend of the family. You can you can yeah. distribute you can distribute out to just about anybody, All right. um, provided that your deed allows for it. Yeah. Um, and again, it's 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 important to make sure that it's it's drawn up correctly and give yeah. you all of those provisions. But the the key benefit of that is that you know if you did win the eighty million dollars, you probably don't want the income coming off it. You'd like to be able to pass it out somewhere. Yes. To try and limit. You know the, the the overall tax position of any one person. Now, there's also so, only so many logs you can fill by way of distribution. Um, so, you know, it is something that is very flexible. Um, from an estate planning perspective, it's also very beneficial because, again, you don't legally own the entity. So, you can have an asset in there that could potentially give you some asset protection. Now, I often say to people that if somebody's really gunning to get something, they'll probably end up getting it. But again, if you can put as many hurdles in place as possible, you're reducing the likelihood of you potentially losing an asset through litigation or something of that nature. So from an asset protection standpoint, it's very, very good. And also for you know the passing on of assets from one generation to the next, um, it, can, it can retain assets over the longer term. Fantastic. Well. And in this half hour, I'm joined by Luke Smith from Envision Financial. Today, we're talking about what is a discretionary family trust and how does it work? So, Luke, who controls the trust and why is that important? Yeah, so there's two ways that you can you can control the trust. Obviously, if the assets are held on behalf of someone, someone needs to control them. So an individual can be the trustee of a trust. You could have joint trustees. So you and I could be the trustee of the trust. I could be the trustee by myself. Or you could have a company. So you generally find that you know people structure this depending on the complexity of their situation and the control that they're after. And depending on who's involved in the structure, you might have a company with one or two directors or a sole director. You and I could be joint trustees where you and I operate the, the trust on behalf of the beneficiaries. Or I could be the trustee of the trust myself 
um, depending on each individual person's situation and needs. So it's really important to get legal advice in relation to setting it up so that you understand the implications of control. If you only have two trustees, how do you resolve disagreements? Well, again, this is where you need to make sure that something's written into the trustee yeah. so that you can actually you know, bring things to fruition if people fall out of love. Um, and that's why getting legal advice on these sorts of things is, is really, really important because a well-written trust deed is the foundation of a long-term investment structure that can give you a number of benefits, um, but you also need those provisions in there for dispute resolution and things of that nature. So get some legal advice and make sure that your deed is worded up because something off the shelf may not be appropriate for you. Fantastic. So how can people make the most of a trust? Yeah, so I think the important thing to do with a trust is obviously understand where things are going to be distributed. It's great to say that you want one, but when I actually sit down with some people and say, well, have you got any kids? No. Have you got anyone else that you could distribute to? No. Then whilst you could have one, the real benefit of it has been diluted because you obviously need all of the things that we spoke about before the ad break in relation to places to distribute income to try and mitigate one individual person's tax position. So, you know, whilst they are available to everybody, they may or may not, depending on your situation, be viable for you. Um, they're very good in relation to distributing income and capital gain. So thinking with the end in mind is very important because generally people buy property assets or invest in portfolios for the medium to longer term. And obviously, when you've had positive growth in any respective asset, you want to be able to try and limit the amount of income tax that is paid on sale. So thinking long term and using the trust as an ownership structure is good. It's very important that you get it right from the start. Obviously, you don't want to go and buy an asset and then transfer it in because you could potentially be looking at another stamp duty event. So understand what you're doing first and then build your structures around what you're going to buy. Um, and also from an, from an asset protection perspective, it can give some, some added controls as well. That point about buying an asset and then transferring it in, you said that could raise stamp duty issues. Mm. Could it also raise capital gains issues? Yeah, correct. Exactly right. Yeah. So again, this is not something that you don't want to just race into or understand the structures that are available to you first. Far too often we see this um, with other structures of this nature where someone's gone out on the weekend, bought a house bought it in their own name and then try to transfer it either into a super fund or into a trust, which uh, generally ends in tears. Yes. Um, and they're not mine. <laughs> um, so, you know, I always say to people, understand what you're doing first, get your structures in place and then go out and buy your assets so that you've got the best way of, of, of obviously thinking long term yeah. because ultimately you want the asset to go up, you want to be able to mitigate your tax and you want to have control over where it goes in the future. So if you're thinking about a discretionary family trust, I guess you need to consult with a number of people, including your financial advisor, your accountant and your lawyer. Correct. You're exactly right. I think it's very, very important that people get that holistic approach because every facet of that of, of those services has different implications in relation to the benefits and considerations of the structure, be it strategically, be it from a standpoint of tax, and also then legally in relation to the wording of the deed, the control mechanisms and the dispute resolution that we spoke about earlier. Okay, so if you need to know more about uh, discretionary family trusts, uh, obviously you can talk to all of those people, uh, but uh, yep. you can also uh, give Luke Smith's office a call. Yeah, exactly. You know, 62604749. If you're thinking about these things, just come in and find out if it's viable. You might get all the way down the road and find out that it's actually not right for you at the moment, but it could be something for you down the track or, or vice versa. So it's important to understand, you know, the validity of what you're going to do before you do it. Obviously, you know, we've got the podcast, we've got the YouTube channel, Envision Financial Canberra, and um, 
we've got the strategy stacker on iTunes and Spotify for the podcast lovers out there. So we've got somewhere that everybody can get the information, stop it, pause it, listen to it in the car and anywhere in between. Fantastic. And of course, uh, you've got a special announcement today as well about a new budget program you've got starting up. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, in as a result of the feedback we've had over the shows leading into 30 June, we've had a number of inquiries in relation to where someone can help me get a budget, how can I get a budget, and how can I have a, a general health check in relation to what's happening with my finances. So, in October, we're going to start a six-month program where people can, can go to our website from next week and, and register for that. They can also email me at lukeandenvisionfinancial.com.au and um, register some expressions of participation there. We're going to have a, a budgeting program where we'll give you access to a software program that you can then bring all of your finances into one location. I'm really trying to drive some engagement here to get people to understand what they're living on and see if they can actually start saving to the third party or the, the unlinked bank account that we've spoken about in many shows. And then we're going to have a three-month review of people's positions and then a six-month review and a general health check where we'll then be able to put people in touch with various providers to try and review and, and, and reduce their fixed expenses for things like mortgages and, and all of the other must-haves that we incur in our daily life. Um, and then we'll obviously sit down with people at the end of that six-month period, give them a health check and talk about some of the key strategies that they could think about because by then we would have identified a savings ability, we would have instilled good behaviours and people will have a much better understanding of where their money's going. So I think it'll be something everybody can benefit from. So nobody ever needs feel frightened by the word budget ever again? No, look, not at all. I say it scares me a little bit, but I think if we can make it, <laughs> make it fun, make it enjoyable and just give you some information that you can use later, I think it's a great outcome for all. Fantastic. Luke, thanks very much and we'll catch you again next Friday. See you next Friday.